Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, have to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. everybody welcome to another be the right club today podcast how how was your thanksgiving uh thanksgiving was good uh we went to shreveport and enjoyed the family and uh came back to uh our life down here in houston how was the turducken the turducken was good really good and uh you know i'm not as wild about duck but uh you know the three ingredients together is pretty it's got a little bite to it. It's pretty good. That's so interesting. You're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to try some next year. You got me. Yeah. Uh, you completely stumped me last week on the turduck, and I was not. I was not ready for that. You better get on the list because they're pretty popular. So I'm usually the one that loses my razor and doesn't. You know, not completely clean shaven, and not. Not. You know, I've known you for five or six years and never seen any scruff. You got some scruff. What's What's going on? Yeah. Well, I tell you what. I got on the scales on Friday when I got back down here after Thanksgiving and I was completely put out with where I was at in my life and uh, I needed to lose some weight. I needed to be incentivized to do it. And I hate this. <laughs> and I used to grow it whenever I was hunting and I couldn't wait to shave it off because it itched all the time. So I was sitting around thinking about, okay, what could I do that every time I was, inclined to take another bite that made me think when am I going to be able to get rid of this and it immediately came to my mind okay let's grow a beard <laughs> and uh trust me I've lost nine pounds since Friday of last week and it's only Wednesday so I've been incentivized to do it. this I, I love that word I wish I could be my goal is to be in better shape for next year because I'm going to play some more golf and, and all that and uh Unfortunately, me growing a beard doesn't incentivize me to go go get in the gym and go lift some weights. I wish it did. It would uh, make it easier on me. <laughs> well, you got to figure out what it is that'll do that. Something my wife telling me I'm fat and 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 out of shape isn't isn't help. She's she's not. I guess that's not enough incentive in, in, incentive yet. So we'll see. I gotta get. I, I guess I gotta get her to be meaner to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's kind of interesting. It's a it's a good little segue for what we're going to talk about today. You know, you've got a you've you've put a put a plan or, or you have a goal so you're putting a plan in place to reach that goal to lose some weight and you know we we get asked the, the couple of questions we get asked in here all the time how do I be more consistent which in our opinion consistency doesn't really exist in golf you're you're going to be inconsistent even when you be, even when you get better there's still going to be some inconsistency in your game um it's just it's just too hard but the other thing is is how do I improve how do I how do I get better you know and and we talk about 
inventory all the time and you covered it a lot in let's talk golf um and i think it's so important to to know your game and know your strengths and weaknesses because if you're going to improve you're going to have to pick one of your weaknesses you're going to have to pick something to try to try to lower that handicap but you know talk how a little bit about you know the people that come in here and ask you the questions on how to improve you know just big picture stuff how do we how do we get better at this crazy game well uh, first of all saying big picture is the correct way to phrase it to begin with because everybody comes in here is different and how to get better would be different for everybody but here's the one common thing that i think we could say to everybody and we do pretty much say to everybody is do an evaluation of what you do well and what you don't do well and let's pick one thing that we can get better at every time i attacked multiple things i never got better and you know we get so result oriented in golf and you know when i say result oriented the ball is telling us whether we did it correctly or not is what the result is but that's not always true you know that i know that but i'm not sure every listener out there knows that and uh you know, the one thing we've learned being inside like this is, is, you know, we can't depend on the ball to tell us whether we did a good job or not. We've got video, we've got track man, we've got all the things that tell us whether we did it right. And, uh, you know, I love not even showing them where the ball went. I love making them figure out where it went by feel. And, you know, I'd pick, my goal would be to pick one thing that I would get better at. You know, in, in my case, I want my launch angle to be lower. So I'm working on launch angle. And, you know, I know what I have to do to make the launch angle come down. So, you know, I, I don't care what the ball does. I want the launch angle down. And then when I get the launch angle down consistently, well, then I'll worry about where the ball's going. So when you talk about one thing, do you are you talking more about one thing in your motion one thing as and you mentioned it with launch angle but because to me there's a couple of different different conversations here you take a full inventory of your game and you let's just say i, I like to use the analogy that like you're a 10 we're 10 handicaps and then so we look at our driving we drive it like a seven handicap we look at our iron play we iron play it like a five handicap well we've got some big weaknesses somewhere it's coming right it's either we're a terrible putter we don't chip and putt it or we don't chip it very well our mental game's horrible whatever it is so do you do you also agree that you need to pick one thing in that kind of broad spectrum analysis of your game to work on too yes i do here's another analogy for you right now if i miss my target i miss it left all the time i'm pretty sure that there's a lot of right-handed golfers out there that are older that are in the same boat miss it to one side or another so my goal right now is to miss it right yeah. instead of miss it left. You know, now, if I miss it right, is that a success or a failure? Success. You know, it's a success if I missed it right. But see, most people would see that as, oh, that's a bad failure. I'd rather take this other over here. Well, you're never going to change anything like that. So, you know, what I need to do is to take out the lefts entirely miss it right for a while and then work on bringing the ball back to the center. I think that's probably something you're gearing towards. 100%. I mean, you know, your bell curve is skewed too far to, to high lefts. 
to high pulls. Um, not necessarily high, but it, it is high because that's what you're working on bringing ball flight down. So you need to sit there and you're good at hitting pulls. You need to get better at hitting pushes. And so a way for you to do that is, and that's what I was going to echo. I was going to say, look, you know, how Sutton, one of the best players to ever play the game, isn't trying to hit it dead straight right now. He's trying to hit low pushes. If he can get that thing to start a little bit right, he knows you know that you can bring it back. And it's and it's going to take time. And it's not, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. And I it was actually interesting. I was watching a live lesson this morning from um, a friend of mine in California named Dana Dahlquist, good instructor. He's on, you know, on all the lists and all that stuff. And he was giving a, a kid a lesson uh, live. He had it videoed on Instagram and he said something about the kid made a good swing and hit in Dana's eyes and he didn't hit it very good. And it, it went left or something. And Dana goes, great job. Great job. He goes, it's funny. 20 years ago, I would have been sweating every ball that didn't go exactly where we wanted it to go as a teacher. He goes, now I do not care where the golf ball goes. And I was just sitting there laughing because we do the same thing. It's like, if, if you're going to make a change, you can, I, I think, you know, Jim Hardy, I was a big fan of Jim Hardy and his group, but he always says you should hit the next one better. And I've, I mean, that's tough. I mean, if we're always band-aiding, we're never going to really make a change. And so if you, if you're going to work on something, you have got to let go. You've got to have a goal in place, but you got to let go of, of assessing it based off pass, pass or fail on every shot, because you're, you're going to, you're chasing a moving target. It's impossible. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. The band-aid thing, you know, when we were playing the tour and trying to make money out there, there were many times that a Band-Aid is all I really wanted to get through the next three days or two days or whatever it was. But for everybody listening out there that's not trying to play the tour, not trying to make a living playing golf, let's not look for a Band-Aid. Let's look for the real fix. Let's get to the bottom, the core of what's wrong, and let's fix that. Let's live with some bad results, knowing that we're not going to hit every shot exactly like we want as we make this change, but knowing eventually we are going to get there. And, you know, if you need feedback from every swing that you make through a good result, this is going to be a hard game for you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So let's, we've talked, you've talked a bit about swing, kind of swing change stuff, changing, changing the motion. How long does it take? Well, don't you think that de depends on uh, how much uh, time you have and how much uh, effort you can devote to becoming a better player? Yeah, and it, I mean, it also depends on what we're trying to change. You know, like, is it just a little setup thing or is it a grip change or what, you know, what is it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, it's such a loaded question, but Again, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, three or four, three or four pods ago, but you know, it, it always, the change to own the change always takes longer than we all think always me as a player. It took me longer. Me as a coach, it takes, takes longer than I think. And it, as you know, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about it from a handicap level. Do you think it's easier for high handicaps to change or lower handicaps to change? <laughs> That's still a loaded question. Uh, Um, it's probably easier for a higher handicap to change with some time would be my guess. Uh, the lower handicap, the change will be more difficult. It'll require more time because you've got a lot invested into your swing to be a low handicapper. So uh, you've got a trust factor there. You've got a known product. Uh, as a low handicapper, the, the higher handicapper doesn't really have a known product, so to speak. I mean, every shot's different for them. Right. 
Com- com- completely agree. I mean, the the better the player, they've got more reps. Their their neuro pathways in their brain to get all nerdy on us. The neuro pathways in their brain are are much more uh, wider paved, and they've made way more reps doing it their way. And 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 they've got equity built up. And the the higher handicaps desperate, and and you know will do. It, it's just easier for them to to make some of the changes. Um, so let's go back to this idea of of how do we improve? Um, how do we go about how do we go about deciding what to improve? Um, and then for the people at home that have, that are listening at home that have, you know, real jobs and don't have as much time, how do we, yeah, you know, how does, how does that look? How, how do we help them improve and, and help them manage their time and pick and choose the, you know, the right battles? Uh, well, first of all, uh, we were talking about this earlier where, um, uh, there's, we were talking about handicaps. Help me with this. We were talking about the guys with the, uh, that always think they're hitting the ball good, but yet they don't score well. Yeah. So that's a 10 handicap who hits, he, he hits it like a five, but right. still shoots 82 every time, 82 to five yeah. every time he plays. To me, there's a lot of room for that guy to improve. Uh, if he's hitting it good, he, he's either not thinking very well or he is uh, something wrong besides his ball striking if he's hitting it well. Uh, I think in order for that guy to get better that's at the house, that has a normal job, he has got to uh, really evaluate where he's at in his game. I mean, he you can't fix everything that's in it, so let's pick one part. And whatever time you do have to work on it, let's, uh, let's devote some time to that. I've talked about it on here a lot. Uh, I, I can't say it enough. I've never seen anybody improve their weakness and forget their strength and their strength still stay strong. So, I mean, one of the things that I would emphasize in here is please don't, whatever time you need to get better at a weakness, please don't take away time from your strength, find a little extra time to work on the weakness. And, you know, I think what happens is I've seen many, many players do this. They, they figure out what's wrong, where they have the most room for improvement and they go to work on that. And then they stop everything else. I've done it myself recently. You know, I was not chipping it very well. So every time I went to the golf course, I went straight to the green and worked on my chipping all the time. The next thing I know, I'm chipping it a little bit better and can't hit it a lick anymore because I neglected what I did so well. I took it for granted and all of a sudden it's not there to help me anymore. So my scoring actually went down, meaning not as well. It it went up. My scoring average would have gone up in that case. And, And I improved my weakness, but I got, I became a worse player. Yeah. Your strength was so good. And that was, that was what, I mean, your ball striking was so good. And that's what made you a PGA tour player. And you, you knew your weakness was short game. And so you try to work on your weakness a little bit. And now your strength isn't PGA tour quality or champions tour quality, however you would, however you say it. So then you're overall. It it's not any quality at all right now, to be <laughs> honest with you. That's so, lack of reps I mean, at all, the truth but. is, yeah. Yeah. The truth is, I mean, this is really hard to talk to a 
let me put it this way. We need to be talking to a five handicapper over here and a 15 handicapper over here, because we're not saying the same thing to each one of those guys. Right. And to actually put something into terms that both of those guys can listen to and gain from is pretty difficult in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, again, when you go, when you talk about inventory, again, there's broad, there's, there's broad or macro and micro versions of inventory. And the way I like to look at it, and we, when, when you and I do assessments, this is what we always ask every person that comes in here. How would you rate the strengths of your games and the strength of your game and the weaknesses of your game? And, you know, it, it goes back to this handicap question. You said a 15 or 20 handicap versus a five handicap. To me, if your ball striking is better than your handicap, then you need decade. You need something like you need Hal Sutton to go caddy for you to go help you make better decisions and, and get you to quit firing at pins get you to, to think a little bit better on the golf course, probably get you to quit three putting because if, if, I mean, 95% of the people that come in here want to hit it better to me, it seems like everybody talks about, I want to hit it better. I want to hit it better. I want to hit it better. So if your performance with your ball striking is lower than, than your score, then your, your decision-making stinks. You need to quit making mistakes, quit making big mistakes, quit making doubles and triples, um, quit trying to make birdies on holes, make a bunch of pars. Again, just I, I, this this uh, amazed me, but a 20 handicap makes one less birdie than a scratch golfer. It's like 1.2 or something. So there's 20 shots difference or 19 shots difference based off the, the one birdie difference. But yet there's, you know, yeah, 19 shots between the two because the scratch golfer is not making the doubles and triples and tens that the 20 handicap is making. So for me, it's get those good, get your, if you're a good ball striker, a better ball striker than you're scoring, then you got to make better decisions first and foremost. And you got to figure out how to do that. And that's where Scott Fawcett and those guys have done a good job with having some type of system in place. Well, while you were saying all of that, I was sitting here thinking about when people come in and we ask them the question to assess their game and tell us what their strengths and weaknesses are. For every person that comes in here and knows exactly what that is without having to think about it, there's a hundred that come in that have to think about it and clearly are not aware of it. Yep. So, uh, you know, I, I reflect back to when I went to people for lessons. I went there specifically for what I was trying to get. I knew exactly what I was trying to do and I needed their help, their eyes, their knowledge to help me get there. I didn't go in there and say, what do we do? You know, I didn't say I want to be better. I mean, in each and every case, I did want to be better, but I knew exactly what I needed to do to get better. And in most cases, if these people are really in tune with their game, they kind of know what it is. They got to be the CEO. I talk about this all the time in Let's Talk Golf. You know, if, if, if people, if you hit it like a five, but yet you're a 15, you need to go get Let's Talk Golf because that's all I talk about is how to get better yeah. at that thinking-wise. If you hit it good, we've got to get better thinking. And, uh, you know, I think people just need to understand their game better. You know, how do you help a teacher help you get better if you don't even understand your game? Yep. No, it's so true. And it's, it baffles me when we ask kids what their lowest score is and they look over at their dad and they're like, uh, I'm like, well, wait, what? How do you not know what your lowest score is? Like you, 
it's our barometer to our to to improving to what we're talking about on here you have to know you have to know i mean you immediately know that your miss is a pull and if you're going to go get back into working on your game you're going to work on that you know mine is similar i've i've fought laughs for a long time and 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 i i I have worked on that for the last five or six years i mean that's that's what i work you know if somebody handed me a million dollar check and said, go play again. I'm going to work on controlling it off the tee and putting a little bit like immediately that's where I'm going because I know that that's, what's going to keep, would keep me from, you know, having success trying to play again. Um, so can I say something here real quick? The first time I broke 50 on nine holes, I knew exactly what I shot immediately. The first time I broke 40 on nine holes, I knew exactly what I shot. Yep. The first time I broke par, I knew exactly what I, I don't care if I was 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old. I was that tied in and in, in, involved in my own golf game. And in order to get better, every one of y'all need to be that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, when, when we ask the question, how do we improve or, or, you know, somebody comes in and we're asking them, okay, what do we want to work on? Um, to me, I think you have to kind of, or at least most of the people, it, it comes down to these two categories. It comes down to scoring or it comes down to ball striking. And, you know, we've, we've talked about the guys that hit it better than they score. They need to work on scoring. They need to go play the front tees. They need to go, you know, try and shoot 60 from the front tees. We've been saying it on here all the time. We say it to all of our kids, you know, Bryson DeChambeau at the top, at the top 100 summit was, was on a video call. And he said he shot 58 when he was 15 from the red tees. He played the red tees for like three, four straight weeks trying to shoot as low. He learned how to score before he really learned how to, you know, hit it so far or do all the other stuff. Um, for the guys that don't hit it as well, and these are the guys that we tend to see more in here, what do you have to do, right? You have to make some swing changes. And this is where, it, this is where and you said something interesting. You said to us, us and some of our instructors here at the academy, you said that how many of us have worked on something and we went down the wrong path and, and it took us a while to even figure that out. And, and that's the tricky part with swing changes. Swing changes are always tricky. Um, but if we're going to hit it better, if we're hitting it bad, if we're a chronic slicer or a chronic hooker or whatever it is, we hit big hooks, we got to make some changes. Talk about that a little bit because it, it can be tricky, especially the, the better you are. Yeah, well... First of all, I think I need to say that there is nothing written in stone that we can all look to as a Bible of how to get better. I mean, from a golf swing wise or anything else. And, uh, you know, there were many times that I had an instructor tell me that, hold on one second, hold the thought, I got to plug in the phone. Uh oh, phone dying. You're hanging, you're, you're keeping us on a cliffhanger. You said, uh, you said that you had one instructor tell you. All right. I'm back in business here. Uh, I had one in, you know, I'd go in and an instructor would tell me, this is what you need to do. Well, that's what he thought I needed to do. <laughs> and we didn't know for sure if that was going to take me to fame and fortune or if it was going to take me down the primrose path of destruction, I had to start down that path and see where it took me. And sometimes it wasn't clear for a while. Sometimes, you know, I mean, if you're pretty good with your hands and I was pretty good with my hands, I could kind of control where the face went for a little while. You know, I could even do it under pressure for a little while, but 
it didn't take long before the body wanted to go one direction, the hands and arms wanted to go another direction. And all of a sudden the result of the shot wasn't nearly as good as I wanted. And, you know, sometimes it might be a week or two that I figured that out and I needed to go a different direction. Sometimes it was a year. And, uh, you know, I know people out there don't want to hear that, but sometimes we don't know. We'll get a long ways down a path before we actually figure out this may not be what's best for me. This is such a fascinating discussion for, for me too, because, you know, we will tell people like, we don't have all the answers. We, we like to think we do, but I mean, and, and, you know, but, but you've got the, the, the playing resume um, that would, you know, basically is a, a better playing resume than anybody else that's coaching on the planet today. And, you know, I, I've got the X's and O's swing mechanic resume and we feel like together there's, there's very few people, very few groups in the country that, that can offer what we can offer. And yet we still tell students that we don't have 100, we, we're not going to get everything right. We're, we're making educated guesses. And to me, that's so, we'll never get it completely right. There's still going to be Webb Simpsons and there's still going to be Jim Furyk and there's still going to be different, different motions that have all the success in the world that doesn't look quite right. My question to you is, and we had, we actually had a, a, a PJ tour player come in a couple of weeks, couple about a month ago in a similar boat that you were in whenever you were struggling at the, your story, you've told about you and your dad out after Vegas. When, if you went back to that time was, and, and we can, we can kind of him haw or talk a little bit about, you know, the, the PJ tour player that came in, is it physical? Is it mental? If it's both, what percentage of both is it? You know, did you need a shrink more than you needed a, an X's and O swing instructor? Did you need a little bit of both? I know you weren't hitting it very good, but like, because to me, the uh, we got asked by a neuroscientist what percentage of golf was mental. And I my first reply was it depends on the level, depends on the player, depends on how good, if it's a tour player, I think it's 90 to 95% mental. If it's a 30 handicap, I think it's, seven to 10% mental. I think it's, they've got to get the physical stuff right. And as they get better at the physical stuff, it will become more and more mental and more and more mental and more and more mental. But going back to your, where you were, I, I kind of rambled a little bit, but going back to where you were in Vegas, is it a mental thing that you needed to improve or was it a physical thing that, that you need to improve or was it both? It was both. But let me tell you where it started with a commitment to something. Okay. I changed up what I was doing and so uh, so back hang on back up out so the where you got into the dark place was because you changed what you were doing or how you got out of the dark place was you changed what you were doing both okay. i went down a path of trying to get more tilt and get more from the inside and and uh and would you say was that you know, just, I was, was sorry to interrupt you but was that just based off the time like was that based off the the let's say the era you were in where that that's what everybody was trying to do. Cause for a while it was get underneath it and swing to right field and hold the lag and all that stuff. Yeah. That, well, that's my point. You know that Hal Sutton can't get right here because yeah. my anatomy won't let me do it. Well, yeah. I was forced. I was trying to force doing that and I'd lose it way. Right. And then when I got sick of that, then I'd fire my arms and hit it way left. Yeah. So you know, I went for 10 years and didn't hit it out of bounds on the tour. And then all of a sudden, right and left were both in play for me. I mean, I was freaking out. So I said, okay, here's what I know to do. I am going to start hitting draws constantly. I'm going to catch it from the inside. 
and I'm going to work the face and I'm going to control. I'm going to start hitting it right and start hitting it to the, with a draw out there. And that's what I went home and worked on for a month. I committed to that, hit nothing but seven irons doing that, hit probably 75% shots, making sure that I was coming from inside to out and I was having forearm rotation, shaft rotation, whatever you want to call it. I was working the face of the club, hitting push draws, basically. And, uh, you know, I had something I could count on when I went back out on the tour. And that's what I hung my hat on was that one shot. And, you know, if I got a back right pin, I didn't force the issue. I said, okay, I'll take it 25 feet to the left and take my chances. If I got a back left pin, I said, okay, I'm coming after you. And, but see, then I started using my mental side of my game. Once I had something I could count on, well, then I would use the mental side of my game to learn how to score, knowing when to go and when not to go, when to hit the brake and when to hit the accelerator. You know, so many people don't un even understand that. They're always on the accelerator or they're always on the brake. You know, to me, playing golf is like driving a car. You got a steering wheel right here. You got a brake and the accelerator. The best players that create the, I mean, if you're a race car driver, the guys that create the lowest time, lowest time are the fastest is knowing when to be on which yep. and where to cut the corners at, you know, golf is much the same way. And, you know, I can't give you a better analogy on that than that. No, it's perfect. And, and again, it, so yours, when you were way out of whack for you, it was, you had to change something physical. You had to add some physical pieces to it. And then once you found something that you began to trust, then it became a bit more mental. And then you could start to uh, make some, make some small little adjustments and kind of run with it a little bit. Do you agree with that? So this is really, yes, this is really interesting, Chase. So think about this. I spent a year trying to get here. So here is less face rotation, catching it from the inside by having uh, my elbow staying close to my right elbow, staying closer to my side. Yeah. More forward control. Trying to get it more forward, which would open the face more and cause right. you, you can't, exactly. you couldn't physically get it. Like for those listening at home, how was taught at, at one point in the middle or early on in his career, he was taught to try and drive the elbow more forward, more Hogan-esque, more DJ-esque, Dustin Johnson-esque. And he that's external rotation of the shoulder, and he can't make that motion. We've tested him a million times, and he's got none of that. His elbow has to stay back a little bit more than what was being taught at the time. Okay, so, here, so here's where I'm going with this. So I proved I couldn't do it through failure, through failure. That's really important that I say that through failure, which meant I spent way too much time trying to do something that I couldn't do, but I had to go down that path a real long time before I could prove to myself, I can't do it because, you know, I thought I could do anything when it came to a golf swing. I'm sure that covers a lot of y'all out there listening to this podcast right now too. Well, here's the truth. I couldn't do it. So what did I do? I went back trying to get it from the inside form rotation, face rotation. And where does the right elbow go when you do that out? So I knew, I knew how sudden I knew what I could do. That was against what the instructors wanted to do, but I had to make a call because I was trying to make a living doing this. It, it was also what supported my ego. You know, I had an ego as a golfer. I had a reputation. I had to 
live up to. And I certainly wasn't living up to that rep reputation. They were writing, what's wrong with Hal Sutton? You know, lost his card. And so what did I do? I went back to what I knew how to do. And, you know, this is interesting because the last time I talked to Ben Hogan, I'm walking into the pro shop at Shady Oaks and Ben Hogan sees me. Let me back up a little bit where y'all can see what I'm doing. Ben Hogan says, how, what is wrong with your golf game? And he says, I said, well, if I knew Mr. Hogan, I'd fix it right now. He puts the door aside and he stops and puts his arms right out here in front of him and takes a grip with no club. And he said, Hal, it's right here. Did you see what my arms did? Watch this right here. He did not do this. And that's what everybody says he did. That's what it looks like he did. But he thought it was this. That's what he said to me. Is that not amazing? That is maybe the greatest ball striker that ever lived. Listen, what I just told y'all is really magical. I hope y'all listen to what I just said. Because he thought he did something different than what he actually did. Right. And he told me that thinking it was going to help me. <laughs> so that ought to bring everything, some clarity to everything. Though maybe the greatest player that ever swung a golf club thought he did something different than he did. Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, done. I, I can't, I don't even have a whole lot to, <laughs> lot to say to that, but it's, it's so interesting to me too, because as instructors, there's, you know, we've been trying to take the hands the our, our, our network of people of, of teachers have been trying to take the hands out of the golf swing. And, and Ben Hogan just said, it's all in the hands and all in the arms and, 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 and all in what holds the club. And that's what we've, we were asked last week, I think, is it, is it hands or body or is it, you know, is, is the swing from the ground up or from the, from the shoulders down and or upper body down. And for me, the, you know, having your arms in sync with whatever, with, with everything else that's going on is, is by far the most important thing. Um, touch on Can the I ask a question real quick before we get off that subject. Sure. I want your opinion on this. I have mine obviously, but I want yours first. Do you think you can ever take the hands out of the golf swing? Uh-uh. No, see, I don't either. And I mean, I think uh, when somebody tells you it's more body than it is hands or arms, I'm going to tell you that it may be for you, but it is never no hands and no arms. Mm -mm. And sometimes as a golfer, we think it's all or nothing. And I will guarantee you, your hands are the most important thing you have to the golf swing. And sometimes they're going to be less involved and sometimes they're going to be more involved. You agree with that, Chase? 100%. There's, there's a group out that teaches what, what we would call passive arms. And I think that's a great feel. And I think if you like how, when you felt passive arms, when you were playing your best, to me, that's the best feel, but it meant your arms were, were keeping up. They weren't, yes. active. they were actively firing and moving and they were just in sync and it felt passive to you. But this idea that the arms don't do anything, like 
I can sit here and turn my body all I want. My arms are going to sit still. But if I move my arms in a, in a decent manner, my body's going to move. And again, it's the only thing that holds the club. Our hands hold the club. The club's not going to move unless the hands move and the hands aren't going to move just because the body moved like they're just not so to me in a perfect world is a 50 50 the arms are 50 percent of the of the effort and the body's 50 percent of the effort you know we talked about this last week and i i've used it a couple a couple times this week in the lessons because i asked you this question i said how if i said that we use the hands and the arms for speed and we use the body for support especially the lower body you know the belly button up for speed and the belly button down for support what would you say and you're nodding and you nodded last week and said you would totally agree and to me that's the goal our lower body supports everything that's going on do we use it to jump and for power 100 but there's a lot of people that can swing really fast off their knees and don't need their their body to do anything crazy and i, I think the body's just been overtaught i really do well i especially think the legs have been overtalked. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen hip drive and leg drive uh, create monumental problems for the youth of America. And, no you know, I, I played my best when I had great weight transfer, but at the right time. And if I tried to overdo any of the weight transfer, it messed up everything up top too. And, you know, Perfect legs in sync is what we're looking for, which I would call support. Yep. And and to even to like your to your your swing to you, like you and I've been playing around or talking about how how you can use your legs and use your body a little bit, lower body a little bit differently, but it's hard to play golf that way. Like I've been asking you to load a little bit differently because you know you got left knee issues and left hip issues. And so it's hard for you to post up as hard as you used to. And and trying to make that change and hit a ball on the ground, like thinking about your feet is a tough way to play golf. It just is. And even though we're, you know, we're asking, asking you or asking players to make that movement. So it's just to me, if I can get an educated, if I can get one segment to be educated, man, give me, give me a good arm swing and, and we can make the body, the lower body, do some, do some cool stuff. Um, talk. Well, that brings me to another point. Let me make this, let me make this point real quick. If any of y'all have pain out there, any place, you need to have it evaluated. Because if you're trying, if your swing is not doing what you want it to do and you have pain, most likely the pain is causing you. I, I've lived this life for the last 15 years. You know, I had pain in my left hip that wouldn't let me do what I wanted it to do. So I tried to force my left knee to rotate, which they're not built to rotate like that tore the labrum, ended up having both those joints replaced. So because I was trying to force something that wouldn't work. So if you're struggling with a swing change out there and you have pain, I know Chase would echo this a thousand percent. I've been around him too much. I know this. His wife is a physical therapist. So he preaches this on a daily basis. So get the pain evaluated and see if you can eliminate the pain or understand the pain and try to work with it basically, which is what we're trying to do in my golf swing. Yep. One, 1,000%. Um, let's talk about a really tough subject. And it kind of goes back to what you were talking about a little bit at, at, around the, your, your struggles after the Vegas tournament. So we identify that ball striking is, is a weakness. Um, and we, so we need to need to become a better ball striker. How do we, how do we give a swing change enough time? How do we know when we're going down the wrong path? Chase, you ask me all these difficult questions, you know. Uh, 
So for me, and I'm not sure I can answer this for anybody else other than me, you know, I had to give it enough time that I never saw any improvement. You know, I would, I, I could understand that maybe for a week or something like that, if I, I mean, it was my job. Understand, first of all, it was my job. So I'm spending eight hours a day doing this. So as you're listening to what I'm about to say, if you don't have eight hours a day to, to do this, well, then this may not work for you. Uh, but if I didn't see any improvement after I had spent a 40 hour work week trying to make this change and didn't see some improvement, then I didn't feel so good about continuing down that path. Now, I said 40 hours. How long does it take each and every one of y'all to give something 40 hours when it comes to golf? That's to be considered right there. Uh, you know, if I saw a little bit of improvement at the end of that 40 hours, I stayed on the path to see if I could get better at it. If I didn't see any improvement at all, but didn't see any regression, well, then I might, I might stay on it, but I was always under the pretense that if I could see a little bit of improvement in, in a full week of working on it, then maybe it wasn't for me. I mean, most of the things that really helped me, I saw some pretty immediate differences. Didn't, I mean, did you? Well, let me, let me ask you a follow-up question on that. Was it always a, were you always trying to make a change for ball flight reasons like do you remember like you and Jimmy or or whoever you and Floyd in your in your prime working on on different movements was it to get rid of certain types of shots was it to make your good shots better what was the let's let's identify the reason that that you changed or tried to change it was to change ball flight most of the time okay so with uh, with, with with Mr. Ballard the the miss was was it still a pull was the miss left then too yeah okay so you're you're you show up to florida you're griping about the pulls and so he's given you some of his stuff to try to get you to quit pulling it basically yeah yeah and so you go down which 40 hours i would even put the over you're going to give it a week which a week for you playing is is seven days you're probably not going to take a day off when you're grinding at this in season so so it's really 56 hours. And for most people out there, 56 discipline hours is done over the course of two months at the at best, an hour a day at best. Um, and probably, probably more like three months. So you dive in for a, a week and you're still, you, you know, you're, you feel like you're making the correct motion and you look up and you're still fighting, fighting that pull. Do you then do you then go into your bag of tricks? Do you tell Jimmy he's full of it and doesn't know what he's talking about, and you, he needs to give you something else? How did how did Hal Sutton the player handle it? Hal Sutton the player went into my bag of tricks at that point because I had to make it happen. You know, he had all. I mean, you know, that, it's not it's it's hard to blame any teacher for anything that happens on the golf course because. I mean, we see this all the time in here. People can't control their speed in here. And you get on the golf course and you can't control it even more so. Uh, you know, I can control my speed in here because I'm looking at a number and I'm wanting the number to be that. And I know how to turn center to go slower or go faster. Uh, 
but most people can't slow down. When no. we ask them to slow down in here, they can't. When they get on the golf course, they go even faster. So, you know, when you go faster, the release changes, everything changes when you go faster. So I can't say that Jimmy ever wanted me to, you know, I don't, I don't know that it was his fault that I was hitting it left. I think it was my lack of being able to control my speed at the time. You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, as I, the analogy of the race car driver, I'm trying to cut every corner. I'm trying to be on the accelerator all the time that I can be on the accelerator and never on the brake. And, you know, uh, if I had anything to say to a player, I'm 63 years old now. So most of my golfing life is in my rear view mirror. And if I had anything to say to a player, you know, in order to become a better player, I didn't say a better swinger or I didn't say a better putter. I said to become a better player. Then you don't need to drive as fast all the time. You don't need to cut every corner in order to become a better player. But see, a lot of people think they got to get more speed and they got to take more risk in order to become a better player. And I would say, honestly, it might be the opposite of that to become a better player. And that's a lot different than a better swinger or a better putter. Uh, I'm talking overall player scoring yeah. better. Score better, correct. Score better. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, I look back at, at my career and I, my, I've said this a lot on here. My filter wasn't tight enough when it came to, like, I, I thought the next instructor knew everything. And I thought if I did what they asked, what, what they asked me to do, it was that, that, that movement, that change in movement pattern was going to help me make it to the PGA tour. And to me, knowing what I know now, that couldn't have been further from the truth. Um, my, my, my inventory and myself, my assessment of each shot, my also myself, I would say my assessment of self wasn't very good. Um, I've, I've always said I blamed my mechanics over everything. Um, and knowing what I know now, like my commitment level was, was horrible. Um, and so for me, when I, when I decided, like I, I fought hooks when I was in college, um, more so pulls when I was, when I was trying to play, um, but what I would have told my 25-year-old self now, 24, 23-year-old self after I got out of college, I would have done more of what you're trying to do with your motion now. I would have said, go out and hit pushes. Just hit, hit 100 pushes in a row. Hit 100 shots that go right of your target. Figure out what you have to do to do that because now you're building up an inventory of tricks that work for you rather than somebody else saying it to you or trying to get you to do some, some feel. I always thought you talked about the right elbow and and some of the movements. I always thought that a movement pattern change was going to change my life. And knowing all that now, like it it just, it's, I got to a level that the only thing that was going to change my life was me being more consistent with my mental game and, and maybe working on getting my body in a better, in a better position physically, but not, not swing physically, but more like in shape and making sure I wasn't set up for injury or anything like that. Um, but I, I gave, I gave coaches too much credit. I thought that they could, they could fix my golf swing and make me hit it perfect. And I would, I would be the next Hal Sutton or be competing against you 15 years ago or whatever. And it just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the case at all. It's so, so bass backwards. So here's something you said, something you, you, 
you gave, you thought the next instructor was going to give you everything they said was right and going to re reform you in some sort of way. Right. And, and that's the easy way out. Yep. And, you know, you know, I've talked about this a lot on here. I talk about it a lot in here to kids, some of our best players. One of the things that I preach to them constantly is take responsibility for your golf game. You know, each and every time I fix my golf game, I did it. No one else did it. I had to take responsibility of my game. And Chase, I spent a career of saying, here, take over. Here, take over. Here, take over. Guess what? No one was capable of taking over my golf game. The only person that was capable of taking over my golf game was me. I knew it. I worked at it eight hours a day. I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't want the responsibility of it. I'd rather someone else take the responsibility. So I had someone else to blame. And, you know, if there's anything, listen, you can't do it without another set of eyes. You can't do it without video. Kids are so lucky today that they have all of the devices that they have, track man and cameras that can see where the club face is at and all of the things that we have available to us today. Take advantage of all of that. Never give up the responsibility of your game to anybody else. And, you know, that's especially true for a good player. If you're a 15 handicapper and you can't really evaluate where you're at, then turn the responsibility over to someone until you start getting better and then you assume the responsibility of it. You agree with that? I do. I think I think a 30 handicap, a 20 handicap, even a 10 handicap can can I can take over their game and make all the decisions for them. But I think you get down to two or three to scratch to plus, you know, we say it all the time in here, a, a two a plus four golfer, a, amateur golfer comes in here. I'm going to ask them a ton of questions. I'm going to see who all they worked with. I'm going to, I'm going to pick their brain. They might hit 10 shots in front of me for an hour in the first lesson, just because I, I got to get to know them. And I've got to, I've got to measure a million times and cut once that 20 handicap comes in here. We're making, he's making one swing and it's like, okay, you're over the top or you're this or that. And we got, we got things to fix. So no, I, I completely agree. And again, I, I, I would, would agree with everything you said about me too. Like I, I, you know, I was, I would blame myself too much, but I also, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I also didn't look internal to, to fix my issues and my, my inventory taking, I never even assessed. I mean, I, I talked to some sports psychologists and stuff, but I, I just didn't understand it enough to know how, how limiting it was. And, and what's funny is the worse I started to play on the, on the mini tours, the more I spent time on the range and quit playing golf and like almost avoided all that stuff. Cause I didn't want to play bad. And now I look back and I would have spent way more time on the golf course. And that, that's something I would echo to all you guys out there. Like tour players play a ton of golf a ton of golf and especially growing up like it's it's golf 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 it's less range 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 and you know the range is going to tend to give you a false sense of hope because you're going to get in that rhythm on the range and hit it really good and think oh i figured it out i figured it out and you get on the first team you're like uh oh i don't have this figured out at all and you, it goes to hell so for me looking back yeah my inventory and my my filter would have been tighter i would have been i would have I wish I would have known more about inventory in my own game from both a, a very general level, but then a very detailed level. And I would have spent more time 
self-belief, more time building my self-belief and, and, and telling myself I was good enough to do it. And then it, it wasn't always a golf swing thing. I needed to, I needed to be more precise with my plans and I needed to be better at evaluating the, the bad shots and, and be more likely to blame my lack of commitment versus my, uh, an issue in my golf swing. So let me ask you a question. I think this is really important for everybody out there listening. Did you ever go to the range that you weren't looking for something? No. Very, very, say very. That, say that one more time. You were looking for something. Yeah. I never knew a golfer that went to the range that wasn't looking for something. Now, you were either looking to loosen up. If you were playing really well, all I'm looking to do is loosen up. If you weren't playing very well, you were looking for something. You didn't know what that something was. You thought you knew what that something was. So the reason why I bring this up is, you know, I'd play a really good round on the tour, and my dad might be following me. So you want to go to the range? Uh, you're going to hit some balls. No, I'm not. And well, so-and-so's over there hitting balls. I said, he's looking for something. I'm not looking for something. I just shot 64. You know, if I go to the range and I hit one bad shot, all of a sudden I put something in my mind that says, is that my future? Think about that. What I just said, you know, if you play good self-belief, you, you know, we did a whole segment with Paul Azinger about self-belief self-belief versus confidence here's what i know you hit that one bad shot at the wrong time i'm gonna tell you it's gonna be in your mind for a little while and so you know harvey pinnick said to me a long time ago never hit more than two or three drivers on the practice round on a practice day before you go out because a, a man doesn't have but 15 good drivers in him so you know when you hit 20 or 25 drivers on the tee, you've already wasted a lot of energy. You've given yourself a lot of opportunity to hit a bad shot that you may have to face on the first tee. So, you know, to me, if you want to become a better player, you got to go play. If you want to swing at it better, you'll find that on the practice tee. You'll hone it on the golf course. Yeah. 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 We talked about blocking random practice. And if you're making swing changes, that's where that, you know, Hal talked about 56 hours, you know, that he spent in a week hitting, hitting golf balls. You need to, you need to block the block practice for that long, you know, over the course of three or four months on the range, making the change, making the, changing the motion to see if it's going to work. And yeah, you know, I, I would, I would say too, if, if, you know, going back to the original question of how do we know if we're going down the wrong path? Number one, if an instructor asks you to do something, you've got to make sure you're physically capable of doing it. You know, we, we do a bunch of tests in here to see if they can actually make the motion or not. If you can make the motion, then you've just got to, you got to, you got to pick the right time to do it, which is right now, which is in the off season when it's colder and, and you've got to make a ton of reps. And that's where it's in the garage at home in a net where you can hit ball after ball after ball with no, with no result, no worry about the outcome. Um, and you've just got to make sure that it's disciplined. You know, we tell our kids all the time in here, we'd rather you make a hundred disciplined swings than 500 undisciplined swings. And that means just make sure your mindset's in the right spot. Make sure your brain's locked in. You can't do it for four straight hours without, you know, your brain basically, basically quitting on you. From, from there, once you can do it on the range to your point, how then you got to start taking it to the golf course. You got to start taking it to money games. You got to start testing it out a little bit. Um, one of the things I would continue to echo is if you're a ball striker and you're not scoring again, go play the front tees, go play up, 
go figure out if you're low round 75, your next goal is to shoot under 75 from the front tees. And we've been saying this forever. There's so many positives to this because what's going to happen is you'll be even par with five holes to play and be thinking about being even par with five holes to play. Or you'll go out the first time from the red tees and shoot 85 and be so mad because you can't believe it wasn't, it wasn't so easy to shoot 70. Um, but handling, you know, to score, handling your emotions, keeping, staying in the moment, one shot at a time, all that stuff that we've been talking about on here is so, 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 so important. If you're making a swing change, being disciplined, giving yourself enough time, making sure you can make the motion, the, the correct motion, or making sure you're physically capable of making the motion, and then following up with your instructor to, to get some little feedback along the way is the only way you're going to, you're going to physically do it. And, and understand that it's just going to take more time than, than, than you think it's going to, and your coach thinks it's going to. Yes, I agree with every bit of that. I was sitting here thinking about something, Chase, that I feel like it, I'm compelled to talk about here. You know, we see a lot of people that come in here, especially people that are older than you, more my age, where at halfway back, the toe is straight up and down, which would be wide open. And uh, they're that way because in the era that I grew up, that's what everybody thought it was supposed to be. That's what they taught was right, you know. Uh, so that meant that they had to work the face to get it square. They had to have forearm rotation. They rotated the shaft in order to square the face. You agree with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So to start Hal Sutton down a path of having a square club face, what the world would call a square club face at halfway back right now, really would cause problems in the downswing. I couldn't use the same downswing that I had always used because I would hit it left all the time doing that. So I, 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 I think there's a lot of people between your age and my age listening to us out there right now. And I would say the, the closer you are to my age, and I'm 63 years old, the more you probably work the face the younger you are, probably the less you work the face and the more you are in tilt and rotate the body. Would you agree with that? 100%. Okay. So with that knowledge, I can never become the, the new age player, nor can the new age player ever become me. I have to be me and they have to become them. And I have to beat them with what I have and they have to beat me with what they have. I still have to be me. So in order to convert my golf game into being them probably means I'm going to be a worse player from it. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you look at the champions tour, look at, look at champions tour swings and then look at their swings when they're on the PJ tour, almost 99% of them, their face is more open and they've got less rotation, less body rotation, 100%. So, so the only reason why I bring this up, is all you listeners out there, you need to evaluate which one of these two people you are. Anybody teaching you needs to teach you accordingly. They can't, I mean, I can't be remade. I can put a, a new paint job on me, but I can't change the body style. Yep. And I think that's really healthy for everybody out there listening uh, to understand that.
Uh, I think that cuts your path forward to being a better player by the knowledge of that. Yep. Yep. Knowing again, it's, it's all about the inventory, knowing who you are, knowing your body type, knowing obviously your age and your, your ability and your range of motion and all that stuff is so important. The other thing I would, I would continue to echo for the ball striker, the guys that need help hitting the golf ball, control your low point, control where the club hits the ground every time. And, and when you, when you go to the range searching for something or looking for something, have one, you have one goal in mind. What are we working on when we go out there? Because if you're, if your goal is to work on hitting it straight every time, you're going to, you're going to be changing after each shot. Oh, I pushed one. I didn't release my hands. Oh, I hooked one. I reverse pivoted. Oh, I hit one heavy. I kept my head down and you've got 17 swing thoughts after 18 shots or 17 shots. And so for, for, for Hal Sutton to sit here and say he's going to go out or, or, or go work in the bay here and work on hitting pushes or low pushes. He's going to work on hitting it lower and pushing it. He'll, you'll work for an hour, hour and a half straight, and that's the only goal. That's all you're going to do. The majority of, of you listeners, you're going to have 14, 25, 50 different swing thoughts trying to hit that perfect shot every time. Oh, I hit that one good. I felt my right pinky toe pushing into the ground. Maybe that's the next field to hit it as good as I can hit it, right? And it's so nonsense. And it's I'm guilty of it. I did the same thing. It's so stupid. We felt our brain felt one thing, feel isn't real, and then we chase it. It's like, I got it. I got it. And then I always laugh because you get up on the first team and you're like, nope, I don't, I don't got it. <laughs> but all of that is the reason why we love this game. It's so elusive. It, it, it's fleeting. You know, I got it today. I don't have it tomorrow. Uh, you know, that's why I still love the game. I still dream about shooting a good score. Uh, you know, Chase will tell you all, I'm, I'm, I'll go out and hit some balls. And I'll, I mean, I, I played yesterday on a par three, and I hit some really good shots, and I hit some really bad shots. You know the ones I remember? The really bad ones. I don't remember the really good ones. You know, that's what it was supposed to be. Well, they're all supposed to be good in my mind. That's what I think. That's what you think. That's what you want. Yeah. That's what all golfers want. Yep. There's no such thing as consistency. Look at golf as a bell curve. And if you're averaging 85, that means your high rounds 100 and your low rounds 75. If you're averaging 70, your high round is 76 and your low round 63. But the bell curves looks just the same. And it's just a, on a sliding scale. As you get better, the, the scale moves, but the bell curve stays the same. Um, and, and, you know, again, going out, being specific with what you're trying to do, to me, is, is, is the most important thing. You know, like you said, how we're, when we go to the range, we're always looking for something, but be specific with what we're looking for. You can go out and practice your pre-shot routine. You can go out and practice your breathing. There's, there's all sorts of ways that you can improve. And, and again, I'm going to echo one more time. For you guys that hit it pretty good, go get something like Decade. Go get some type of stat, Mark Brody stuff. Go get something that keeps keeps track of your stats so you really can take a, a, a solid inventory and you know that you're not giving up shots from wedge distance because you're taking on too many flags. You're not doing anything stupid mentally that's just costing you shots that you never even thought about. Well, I can't think of anything else today that we have that will help anybody be better. We uh, we see it all in here. Uh, we enjoy every person that comes in here. We do our best to help every person that comes in here. Uh, and each person is a different puzzle. Yep. I love, I love that. That's, that's exactly right. 
if if you're if you're good at slicing it figure out how to hook it if you're good at hooking it figure out how to slice it it's not about hitting it perfect every time it's about experimenting and not being afraid to over exaggerate a little bit until you kind of fine tune it to where it's not crazy either side of the coin we talk about uh, we talk about seesaws, we talk about being balanced, we talk about keeping it keeping it vanilla as much as you can. But if you're on crazy on one side of the spectrum, you got to add some crazy on the other, other side of the spectrum to balance it out. Golf is all about balance, how you talk about all the time. We need room and time, we need to be balanced. And, and that, that's a, a great analogy for the whole spectrum of your game and not just your golf swing. 100%. Everybody get better. You know how now. Thanks, guys. As always, we'll see you next time. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes!